Last one standing wins. <laughs> Professional Podcast. Drinking from Human Skulls. A professional podcast. Hello and welcome to Drinking from Human Skulls, another episode brought to you by your host, Doni Cordoni. The show where we try to make sense of all the nonsense that they keep spewing at us in the media. And wow, there's a lot of it. And folks, it's another episode about the coronavirus, but I really feel like it's important to wade through the nonsense on this stuff. I feel that the leaders, the politicians, the healthcare experts, the media are all spinning a narrative of lies. And we have to be informed because these lies as it's becoming clear, are being used to put you in a box, to lock you down, to prevent you from traveling, to restrict you in so many other ways. And this has to be called out and explained and deciphered because they will use your fear against you. And I don't think it's just one nefarious actor or one group of nefarious actors. I think it's a combination of public relations from pharmaceutical companies and well-intentioned health experts who don't have a clue what they're talking about and politicians who are just pandering to get your votes. The world is being ruled by a clusterfuck of idiots at the moment. And speaking of, let's get to our first segment the pressure to mask, the pressure to vax. And I want to talk about my favorite doctor in the whole world. And of course, I'm talking about Anthony Fauci, the best doctor on the whole planet. Although he's super good. He's not old and out of touch. He knows everything. And he says, Despite the vaccine and despite case numbers and despite everything else, you have to wear a mask until at least 2022. Yeah, no, sir. And for those of you who have listened to this podcast before, you'll be well aware that I don't think this vaccine works. And I actually don't even think it's a vaccine because it's not. It's an experimental treatment. But that's besides the point. Let's just imagine for a second that you believe that this vaccine works, and you believe that lockdowns work. Well, Anthony Fauci is saying, mask up until 2022, and the whole world is following suit. Well, we've got a courageous senator named Rand Paul who had some words for the best doctor in the world, Anthony Fauci. And so let's listen, because I think he's speaking a lot of truth in these statements Take a drink. ...that no scientific studies have shown significant numbers of reinfections of patients previously infected or previously vaccinated. What specific studies do you cite to argue that the public should be wearing masks well into 2022? I'm not sure I understand the connection of what you're saying about masks and reinfection. We're talking about people who have never been infected before, 
You're and, telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine yeah. or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, you it's had not. The vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let's get down to the facts. Okay, the studies that you quote from Crotty and Sete look at in vitro examination of memory immunity, which in their paper they specifically say this does not necessarily pertain to the actual protection. It's in vitro. And what study or, can you point to that shows significant let, reinfection? There are no studies that show just significant let, let, me, let me finish the response to your question, if you please. The other thing is that when you talk about reinfection and you don't keep in the concept of variance, that's an entirely different ball game. Okay, Fauci grouching, and I have to stop right there because as everyone knows, there's multiple strains of the flu, but we're not freaking out about the flu, are we? There's four main types and dozens of strains of the flu. So is that an entirely different ball game? The flu vaccine which is an actual vaccine, but anyways, the flu vaccine is basically a crapshoot. Every year, they think, they guess about which strain will be the most prominent, and that's the one that they base their flu vaccine around. Well, I don't understand why these variants are getting so much play in the media. Oh my god, the variants, the variants, the variants. It's all nonsense. It's just more stuff to make you scared. Anyway, let's continue with... Fauci the grouchy. Mm. That's a good reason for a mask. In the South African study conducted by J&J. &J, <laughs> excuse me, Fauci. Stop right there. Are J&J &J a neutral party? Or are they trying to sell their own vaccine? Hello? He's citing a pharmaceutical company study. And listen, by the way, I don't know if I've actually talked about this before in detail, but the way that they conduct these studies in these pharmaceutical companies, and I have worked inside these companies and I've seen the studies, is that they design them so that they can always succeed in proving their hypothesis, which is something to support them in selling the medicine. They need to do these studies to submit to the FDA or the various FDAs around the world, or else they can't sell the medication. In this case, the vaccines, quote-unquote, coronavirus vaccines, have an emergency approval. They do not have full approval at this stage, because these things normally take a lot longer. And the studies themselves, in the case of the coronavirus vaccines, are just asinine nonsense, because they take a random population of people, which sounds good on the surface, but actually... Everyone has a different level of exposure to the coronavirus based on lifestyle. Are they working? Are they locking themselves down? Are they quarantining, etc.? The only way you can do a viable study to prove if these vaccines quote-unquote work is by giving them to nurses and doctors in the COVID ward of a hospital. That's it. That's the only way. You have to guarantee exposure. And so you have to tell if these quote-unquote vaccines work under the conditions where people are guaranteed exposure. And then you can say, well, we tried it on X number of Asian people, X number of Caucasian people, X number of black people, etc. That's all fine. But they didn't do that. 
So when they say this vaccine is 95% effective, et cetera, et cetera, it's all lies. Because of all the thousands of people that they studied, there is no through line. There is no guarantee of exposure. So it could just be that 95% of people didn't leave their house. It's all nonsense. You need to know it's all nonsense. And Anthony Fauci, the best doctor in the entire world, is citing a pharmaceutical study when answering Senator Rand Paul's very clear and concise question. Well, let's continue. Take a drink. They found that people who were infected with wild type and were exposed to the variant in South Africa, the 351, it was as if they had never been infected before. They had no protection. So when you talk about reinfection, you've got to make sure you're talking about wild type. I agree with you that you very likely would have protection from wild type for at least six months if point you're infected. But we in our country now have variants that are circulating. Significant reinfection. What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization and death after either natural infection or the vaccine? It doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. Yeah, we don't you have a death in the United States. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild type versus variants. And what, now, proof is there, what proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? None in our country. Zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet. We're having one. Can I finish? We're having one one seven that's becoming more dominant policy based on conjecture. No, you have the it isn't based on conjecture. So you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. No, you can't get it again. There's almost there's virtually zero percent chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask who've been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science right. to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. Okay. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. Well, let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we have immunity there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any science. I I totally disagree with you. So let's decode it because this is going around in circles. Fauci can't answer a simple question. What Fauci is saying is that You've got to continue to wear masks because there's these variants and it'll never end. The flu, as I've mentioned before, has several dozen variants. There are four main types and there are dozens of strains. So should we wear a mask for the flu? Have we worn masks for the flu in the West? I've already mentioned before that they do wear masks in countries like Taiwan and China and Korea and Japan. Well, honestly... I lived in Taiwan for five plus years. I never wore a mask once. I hated it. I thought it was the dumbest thing possible. And here I am. I actually moved back to Canada because I couldn't stand this aspect of Taiwanese society. And here we are 
I've been back for a couple years, and boom, everyone's wearing masks because they're fucking scared. The only thing that I could accept is you wear a mask if you're sick and you have to go out. I think that's fair. Of course, the masks probably don't work as well as they think they do, but certainly if you sneeze into a mask, it maybe won't land directly on someone, for example. Or maybe it will be diminished. So I, I can accept that, but I cannot accept that everyone, regardless of their state, should wear a mask. It's stupid. It makes no sense. We never did it before. We were fine. It's all predicated on a belief, a false belief, that this virus is somehow worse. And it's not. The numbers have shown that it's not. So what are we doing? Why are we listening to Dr. Fauci? And by the way, we're going to get into Dr. Fauci in detail in a future episode. He was all over this AIDS pandemic, quote unquote pandemic. And I've got some things to say about that. I've been onto this for a long time. I've been really having questions about it for a long time. So anyways, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. So I'm sure people might say, well, who are you? You're just some dumbass podcaster. Well, yes, I am. That's me. I am a dumbass podcaster, but I will gladly point you in the direction of people who are not dumbass podcasters. They are brilliant doctors and scientists. And one of my very favorites is Dr. Lee Merritt, who has gone through great lengths to put together a presentation on masks and how they don't work and how they could work and how they may work and how they don't work and etc. Every angle she's looked at. And that's a presentation that I'm not going to clip here. Because it's long and it's actually, it's a visual presentation. You need to see the slides. But I'll put that in this transcript. You'll find it if you go to drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. You'll see it there. But I will clip her in a shorter presentation that she gave where she's talking about the dangers of masking and what it can do to the children and what it can do to the economy. So just take a quick drink here of Dr. Lee Merritt saying some very salient things that I think nobody considers because we're being assaulted by the media and all the shame and all of the nonsense. So let's take a drink of Dr. Lee Merritt. Thank you. I graduated from the University of Rochester School of Medicine in 1980. I became an orthopedic spinal surgeon, did 10 years as a military surgeon, and then I served on a congressional committee that looked at technology for the military, for the Navy specifically. And as that, I researched bioweapons and all sorts of stuff and masks. And I'm going to tell you, in my entire professional career, I have never heard anybody actually believe that these kind of, any kind of masks, short of a, a, an actual level four containment suit, made a difference to small particle viruses. In fact, the CDC itself just published an article in May exactly saying that. They cannot con you cannot contain influenza with these masks, and that's even larger than this virus. Now, I'm, and I reviewed all this science. I gave a talk out in Nevada last month, and it's online, YouTube, medical technocracy in my name. And you can look at all the sciencey stuff. My conclusion, looking at all the uh, redoing the, my investigation in this this time, is that people that are now purporting to scientifically prove masks work are either being paid or being played. This just doesn't work this way, and the outcome of this is not going to be good. Uh, the previous speaker said some of the things I wanted to say about children. Children, actually, we have 
bad things happening here because children learn by looking at facial expressions. They socialize. We are creating a generation of people that will be afraid of normal existence, and that's not a good thing. The second thing is, I don't know if you know how badly you're damaging the economy. You guys haven't missed a paycheck, but as a small business owner, we've missed a lot of paychecks. And it's not getting better particularly because I live outside the ring of Omaha. And when you live outside there, you don't have to wear a mask. We're not social distancing. We're all hanging out with each other and nobody's getting sick any more than they did last season. The actual survival rate this season is 99.991%. It's actually gone up to probably 99.997 with the new CDC uh, revelations. And last year's flu season was 99.992%. And for that, we're making our children afraid. And that's not a good outcome. I think this is time to end this. And I just want to say that I've taken two oaths in my life, one to the Constitution as a naval officer and one to the oath of Hippocrates when it says I shouldn't do mischief to my patients. And mischief includes lying to them. I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm not wearing a mask. And I guess I won't be shopping around if that's necessary. But I think it's time that I mean, you guys could turn this around. You're either going to ride the city down or you're going to turn this around. And you can do it right now. I'm just reminded of Boris Yeltsin. So this lie is going to fall apart here pretty darn soon. The, the, the truth is coming out. And Boris Yeltsin once said, you can sit on a throne of bayonets, but you can't sit on it for long. And thank you. So, thank you. Dr. Lee Merritt talking about some common sense issues with the idea of wearing masks. It's going to damage the children. They're going to think, why is everyone covering their face? It's going to stunt their development, their social development. People aren't hugging. They're not touching each other. People are staying away from each other. They're scared. People are in fear of each other. And the children are growing up and seeing this as normal. Do you think it's going to mess with their heads? Hello? Yeah, it is. It ain't good. And these societies that wear masks as a normal thing, like I said, in Asia, they're paranoid societies. I'm sorry. These are paranoid societies. That's not good. Hey guys, it's me, Donnie, the host of Drinking from Human Skulls. The world is coming to an end, you don't have a job, and you're bleeding your parents dry. Pretty soon, everyone you know and love is going to die in nuclear war. That's why this is the perfect time to donate to Drinking from Human Skulls, a professional podcast. Just visit drinkingfromhumanskulls.com and click the donate button to get started. And if you can't afford to donate, click on anything that looks like an ad. Doing so will help me and your corporate overlords. Why let your money disintegrate in a mushroom cloud when you could support the Drinking From Human Skulls podcast? Now, let's get back to the show. Why would you want to live in fear of people? Why would you want to live in fear of a virus, of things you can't see? Why are you afraid of something that doesn't kill the vast majority of people who come into contact with it. There's so many analogies. Don't get in your car. Well, if you're afraid of dying, don't get in your car ever again because you have more of a chance of dying in a car than you do of coronavirus. Don't play golf. You got more of a chance of getting hit by fucking lightning than getting coronavirus. Is this landing? I can't believe they're doing this to us. I can't believe the media and the PR and the leaders are getting away with this. I can't believe it. Can you believe it? I really hope this is landing. But let's continue. 
Because if the media and the PR and the senseless nonsense from our politicians isn't enough, well, the newest crazy trend in today's world, cancel culture, is making its presence known around masks and vaccines and etc. All to do with the coronavirus. And you will be canceled. If you're ever caught not wearing a mask, you will be filmed in your weakest moments when you have been harangued and harassed while going to Costco. And there are thought police who live amongst us who are looking for those brownie points, and they will post it to social media. Cancel culture to me is one of the most disgraceful trends I have ever witnessed. I don't know who you are, but if you thrive on canceling people and hoping that they lose their jobs... This is something that good people need to stand up against right now because it's getting out of control. Everyone is being canceled. People are being canceled for things they haven't even done, crimes they haven't even committed, exaggerations, allegations. You're canceled. If somebody levies an allegation against you and you haven't actually done anything wrong, people are jumping to conclusions. There is no due process. This is a terrible trend. We know where this goes. This was written about years and years ago. We've seen this. How stupid are we? There's a guy in my hometown of Vancouver, an opera singer who sings for the Vancouver Canucks hockey teams. He sings the national anthems before the games. And he spoke at a anti-masking gathering at the Vancouver Art Gallery, and he was fired. This guy has been doing his job very well for a number of years. And he was fired because he spoke out against tyranny. Shame on you, Vancouver Canucks. Shame. And by the way, I played hockey my whole life, but what an utter hypocrisy. This is a brutal game where people beat each other senseless. But you can't speak out against masking. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, there are a number of articles, dozens of articles, in fact, trashing men specifically because men don't like to wear masks. Let me read you a few of these headlines because they're comical. First, we have L.com. I broke up with my boyfriend because he refused to wear a mask. Cool story. Here we have the Atlantic. The dudes who won't wear masks. Okay. Now we've got BBC News. Coronavirus face masks. Why men are less likely to wear masks. Vogue.com, she does, he doesn't, the gender divide in mask wearing. And my very favorite one from Scientific American, the condoms of the face, why some men refuse to wear masks. Finally, we have the independent, real men don't wear masks, the link between masculinity and face coverings. They would have you believe that it's a men's issue. This is because men are being dicks. Well, I'm a man, and I'm not a dick. I do wear a mask. I hate it. I think there's a lot of people like me. There are a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to wear a mask. I find it hard to breathe. I hate having to cover my face up all the time. I think it's ridiculous that everyone needs to cover their face up all the time. It has nothing to do with me being a man or trying to be more like a man. It's not connected to masculinity. This is all part of the shaming tirade. Whether or not these writers, these pawns, know what they're doing, or they're trying to be salacious, they're trying to get clicks, who knows? But it's all coming together to make you 
feel shame. And they want to shame you to get the vaccine as well. In Australia, they've spent $24 million on advertisements designed to do just that. Get you to take the vaccine and be a good little slave. Take a drink. Australia is working hard to ensure we all have access to safe, effective and free COVID-19 vaccines, which will give us the protection to go about our everyday lives. The COVID-19 vaccines are being assessed carefully by independent clinical experts to ensure all potential vaccines meet Australia's high safety and quality standards. After vaccines are approved, they'll be rolled out, going to those most in need of protection first. To keep up to date, visit health.gov.au. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. Of course, let's use the term experts lightly because as I've already outlined, the only study that makes sense is one where they have vaccinated people in a COVID ward and guaranteed exposure. None, and I repeat, none of the studies have done so. None. And yet we have studies for alternative, quote-unquote, alternative treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that have proven in those circumstances, in COVID wards, to prevent infection and transmission. By the way, Australia, did you know that you're paying for these vaccines? They're going to be free. They aren't free. You're paying for them with your tax dollars. Let's listen to another ad from Australia, shall we then? COVID-19 has changed our lives. For us to live more freely, we need the added protection of COVID-19 vaccines. Our experts looking carefully at the clinical trial results, along with all the data on quality and manufacturing of the vaccines. We only will approve vaccines when we have enough evidence that they work and that they're safe. The rollout of the vaccines will be available in batches, so we're making sure they go to where they are needed first. To keep up to date, visit health.gov.au. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. Well, if these vaccines have already been proven to be 95% effective and safe and etc., then why does the Australian government need to spend $24 million to convince you of that fact? Doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. But it's not just the Australian government, it's multiple governments around the world who are doing this. And the government in the UK, for example, has put a little social media twist on it. They've developed some graphics, some badges that you can put in your social media profiles to say that you plan to take the vaccine or you already have taken the vaccine. That's really ramping up the social pressure. All your friends have this little badge on and you don't. Oh my God, I don't have the badge. Am I a bad person? Should I get the vaccine? Well, I don't know. I thought it might be dangerous because it's not really approved yet, but everyone's recalling the AstraZeneca vaccine. It gives people blood clots, but uh, should I get it? Well, uh, Johnny and Sally have a badge on their Facebook profile. Maybe I should get it. Oh my God, I should get it. I don't want to be left out. No, don't let me be left out. This is what they're doing. So many ways they can engineer social pressure to get you to do what they want you to do. And by the way, in the UK, they've got millions of doses ordered. They've already drank the Kool-Aid on these vaccines. They don't want to see their investment go to waste now, do they? And in Canada, they have media-sponsored Ipsos research being done. Of course, Ipsos, one of the biggest research companies in the world, that suggests many people are into the vaccine. Well, let's just take a drink of this before we comment because 
It's really fabulous what they put together. Ipsos polling exclusively for Global News shows 72% of Canadians would take the COVID-19 vaccine as soon as they possibly could. That's up a whopping 20 points since November. Yeah, of course, because they've been beaten into submission with all these fear-based lockdowns in Canada. It's atrocious. (sighs) 64% say the vaccine should be mandatory. Translation, 64% of people who answered this survey are super old or super scared or super dumb. No vaccine should be mandatory. In fact, that's against the law in many countries. That's also up some five points since November. When it comes to who should get it first, 82% say those at social and economic disadvantage in areas with high caseloads should get the shot. But we're not holding our breath. Most of us believe we won't be eligible to get the shot until the spring or summer, and 18% think it won't happen for them this year at all. Some people are still hesitant, with 15% preferring a wait-and-see approach, potentially holding off on getting vaccinated until 2022. Literally all of my friends say they will never get this vaccine, ever. So 15% say they're going to wait until 2022. I'm never going to get it, never. I don't believe that, 15%. I think they're just getting a very crummy survey sample here which is something that nobody considers. They say, oh, 15%, oh, 64 Consider who responds to surveys. Who responds? Not me, because I never answer my phone unless I know the number. Never. I don't even respond to voicemails. In fact, my voicemail message says explicitly, if you leave me a voicemail, I will not return your call. You must send me a text message. And how many people send me text messages? It's never happened. This is how dumb people are. But I don't answer the phone and I don't respond to surveys. Despite the slow rollout, 79% of us are optimistic the vaccine will be effective at slowing the spread. And by the way, they think that based on no information at all, they've done no research, they answered their phone and they answered a survey question or two. That's what's going on here. This is utterly ridiculous information designed to confound dumb people. Now let's listen to the Ipsos head man in charge in Canada. See what he has to say. It seems like he's got some predetermined outcomes he was hoping to prove, which is totally the wrong thing to do with a survey, but take a drink. Well, I think the first thing is that people realize that vaccines are going to be an important part of getting us back on track. So fighting the disease, but also getting the world back to the way that it needs to be vaccines are an important element of that. The second thing, though, is that even the reason that it's not 100 is that the public is really not quite there when it comes to people having something other than their own choice to get a vaccine. So whenever you make something mandatory, sometimes people's sensibilities get a a little, I would say, fragile. They state control on something like that. There's a significant part of the population that has a problem. Even though that number has gone up, it has not gone up as much as one might expect. As one might expect based on what? Based on the fact that this is a crunk vaccine and more and more people are knowing about it? What? Based on what, dude? You're a numbers guy. You're making no sense at all. You take a look at the percentage of the people who say that they absolutely won't get a vaccine. It's actually quite small. It's uh, it's down to, uh, you know, uh, I think what we found in the survey, it's roughly around 10%. 
First of all, why is he stammering on the most important statistic out of this entire survey? It's down to, uh, I, I believe it's, I, I believe it's down to around 10%. What a ridiculous piece of trash this man is. Your job is not to produce accurate numbers. Your job is to satisfy the powers that be. Shame on you, sir. They are manufacturing consent. That's what's going on here. They're trying to pave the way to a forced vaccination. I won't get it. You'll have to strap me down and I will not get it. I draw my line in the sand here. I don't even care if it's safe. I don't even care if it's proven effective. I won't get it because I don't think it's better than an immune response. It's an experimental quote-unquote vaccine. It is an mRNA technology synthetic virus. <sighs> well, this brings me to my next topic, which is the idea of vaccine passports. And it's no secret that Israel has vaccinated a larger proportion of their population than any other country in the world, and they're implementing a passport system. So let's take a drink of this clip because it's quite shocking, I would say. 500 people were able to attend this event in Tel Aviv as long as they could prove that they had been vaccinated against COVID by showing a QR code and an ID. It's part of a green pass system, which is also accepted by gyms, museums, bars, and restaurants, as authorities want to demonstrate that getting COVID shots gives access to gatherings and public events. As of early March, more than half of Israel's population had received at least one dose of the vaccine, a greater share than any other country. But a recent survey found that 25% of Israelis had no plans to take the vaccine. Did you guys get to convince them, volunteers have been walking around and touting the benefits of immunization. And health workers are offering freebies that include free drinks, pizza, and tickets to basketball games for those that get the vaccine. If everybody will take the vaccine, we can open all the stores, we can open all the business, and it's very important for the economy. Israel is going to extremes to reach its goal of vaccinating everyone over 16 by the end of March and reopen its economy as quickly as possible. Today, we are spreading awareness for everybody to get vaccines. Ellie Greenfield is a volunteer medic. At this market in Jerusalem, she helped spread the word by encouraging people to get vaccinated at a nearby bar, where other volunteers were also offering drinks. The idea here is for them to come to the bar, they'll then receive a drink, a non-alcoholic drink, in return for getting vaccinated. There you go. By early March, the majority of people aged 50 and above had been fully vaccinated, while less than half of the population under 40 had received their first dose. Those who say they are wary of taking the vaccine cite different reasons. According to a survey, 41% of people who hadn't yet been vaccinated said they feared side effects and 30% said they weren't sure if the vaccine was effective. One issue health workers are focused on is vaccine misinformation, stressing to people that vaccines have gone through clinical trials before being authorized by local authorities. People have a lot of fears because they hear a bunch of things from different friends or different news channels that aren't necessarily true. To help with that, we have volunteers who are out and around in the market explaining to people the importance, answering questions, uh, and actually bringing them here. Some campaigns focus on the ultra-Orthodox and Arab communities, where some have been skeptical of the vaccination program. The government has also set up a task force to fight vaccine misinformation, like these employees are doing here in Israel's health ministry control room. And in some cases, it seems to be working.
In Holon, a suburb south of Tel Aviv, volunteers at this pop-up clinic offered goodie bags and free basketball tickets to the first 5,000 people to get vaccinated. We're trying to do our best to give the people the, the idea to come and take the vaccine. Around 85% of Holon's residents had already been vaccinated at the beginning of March. One reason Israel is pushing its vaccination program so hard is that it's crucial to the country's plan to reopen its economy quickly. The fact that Israel has been so fast in vaccinating its residents also means we will probably be the fastest in reopening our market. Citizens who've been inoculated can register for Israel's Green Pass system, which is meant to help the country reopen safely and allow activities like indoor dining to resume. The Green Passport essentially says if you've been vaccinated twice, you have access to all these places. Some other countries, including Saudi Arabia and the EU, have said they were considering similar systems for people who had gotten their vaccines. But critics have raised questions on whether the strategy could result in a two-speed system with potentially unequal access to some public services and travel. Israel says the system isn't affecting access to essential services. For the first time, we are allowed to have a rock concert but the restrictions still apply, so only 500 people can attend this show. There are 30,000 seats and 500 people. But Green Passes are allowing people to take cautious steps towards normalcy. The Green Pass uh, program is great. It feels like things are starting to open up and getting back to what we were used to a while ago. I don't know what kind of upside-down, twisted world this is where even with their vaccine passport, they're still limiting capacity at these events. And it's almost like they're wearing it as a badge of honor. It doesn't make any sense to me. They have street teams whistling at people like, watch the video on drinkingforhumanskulls.com. You'll find it there. Street teams whistling at people and saying, hey, have you got the vaccine yet? Hey, well, if you haven't got the vaccine, come on down to this bar. They'll give you a free non-alcoholic drink. And no, I won't make the obvious joke. I think a lot of different people, races, creeds, and kinds would do something for a free drink. And nothing else to say here. But that's just the lengths that they're going to in Israel to vaccinate their people. They're creating this whole system where if you don't have your vaccination, you can't get access to all of these different types of facilities, including gyms, concerts, venues of all sorts. And we can only assume that people who want to travel to Israel will have to do so, proving that they've got a vaccine. Well, what is a proof of vaccine? It's a little paper card that they print out. I mean, it's nonsense. Easily forged. I don't know how they would validate this whole system's a non-starter. Well, I've heard that in China, you can't travel there unless you have proof of vaccination, which means you show a piece of paper. That means some immigration agent looks at it and says, yep, that's the one. They don't know what they're doing. Nobody does. So that's the flip side of this nonsense. It's, it's oppression that can't even be validated. And by the way, there are several countries around the world that don't even have access to these vaccines. It's a whole big thing. And so those countries are like double screwed. They can't get a vaccine. If they're honest, they can't travel. And what are they supposed to do? And I'm not going to clip anything here or get into this article, but I found this interesting that they've just concluded a study, according to CNN, that pregnant woman and lactating woman can get the vaccine totally safe. How hard up for cash are you that you're going to submit yourself to that study? What did they pay him? I want the details. Can you imagine this? These marketing people, they're pushing this so hard 
This is a vaccine that's sold out worldwide for years to come, and yet they're going to open up this new market of pregnant women. It's insane to me. Hey guys, it's me, Doni. Head to drinkyfromhumanskills.com to join my mailing list. I'll send you my newest episodes and my hottest selfies. See you there. Well, here's an article from BBC. Guess where you find that linked on www.drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. The title is COVID Passports. What are different countries planning? I'd like to know as well. Let's go through this a little bit. The article says the need to get a COVID vaccine certificate before you travel across Europe this summer is closer to becoming reality. EU leaders have backed introduction of a digital green certificate, but some countries inside and outside the EU have already announced plans for vaccine passports. How will the EU vaccine passport work? The aim of the EU pass is to get travel moving across borders without discrimination, but getting it all organized in a short space of time will be a significant challenge. EU leaders have called for legal and technical work to go ahead as a matter of urgency while maintaining restrictions on non-essential travel for the moment. The original plan is for the certificate to be in place for the summer, but that deadline could be hard to meet. The certificate, either digital or on paper, will enable anyone vaccinated against COVID or who has tested negative or recently recovered from the virus to travel across all 29 member states. The EU also wants to include such non-EU countries as Norway, Iceland, and Switzerland. The key to the digital certificate is a QR code, a machine-readable graphic code made up of black and white squares that contains personal data, and the EU's commission said it will be safe and secure. It is working with the World Health Organization to ensure the certificate is recognized beyond Europe. So a QR code, by the way, for those who don't really know, I don't know what kind of Luddites are listening to this podcast, but a QR code is just a scannable link to a website. So I'm not sure if those can be encrypted or somehow secured. I'm not sure. So that's the EU as a whole, but country by country, they also have their own little things going on. Denmark has this thing called Corona Pass. Israel, we've already talked about. Estonia has a QR code. The UK is planning it, maybe. But one thing the UK is doing for sure is saying that anyone who travels outside of the UK without a good reason, quote unquote, whatever that means, is going to have to pay a £5,000 penalty. So I guess that just means rich people can travel if you want to decode that. Because they're not saying you can't. They're saying you have to pay a £5,000 penalty. I think it's about US dollars And they're going to update that on April 12th. And by the way, April 12th, another faithful day for the UK citizens. That'll be the day that you can actually travel within the UK again. So I'm sure everyone is um, eager to get out of their homes. But not to be outdone, of course, the most draconian of them all. Let's listen to Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, best and coolest guy in the world, talking about his extreme measures that he's putting into place actually has already put into place, excuse me. Take a drink, will ya? Starting today, people returning by land borders will also need to show proof of a negative PCR test taken within 72 hours before arrival. And all returning travelers must quarantine for 14 days after coming home or risk heavy fines and possible jail time. These are some of the strongest measures in the world. But with new variants emerging, 
we're stepping them up even further. Later today, Ministers Haidu, Blair, and Leblanc will announce the details of new testing, quarantine, and enforcement for everyone flying or driving back to Canada. These measures will take effect starting February 22nd. Putting these additional measures in place is a true team effort. To Canadian airlines and border, effort, border agents, thank you. To public health employees, to hotel workers and owners, thank you for all the work you're doing and for doing your part. That's like the new thank the troops. Hey, thank you to the border workers. Give me a break. So here's how it works in Canada. You fly back. You have to get yourself tested. And somehow these tests take three days to clear. So you have to stay at your own expense in a COVID hotel before you can go home for three days. That's how that works. The estimated cost is $2,000. If you fail the test, they put you into some sort of a COVID facility. And by the way, in 2021, Chinese New Year was February 12th. People would have left Canada under different pretenses than they would have came back under. They didn't know that this was happening. I think this is a direct attack against Chinese people. You leave the country for Chinese New Year holiday. It's like a 10-day holiday. You come back. Boom, you have to do this thing and pay $2,000. Nobody knew that. The vast majority of people who were leaving Canada at this time were Chinese people. Bar none, I guarantee it. Especially in Vancouver, we have a lot of Chinese people. In Toronto, there's a lot of Chinese people. Many of them fly back to China, visit their family for Chinese New Year. And that's what this is, a money grab against Chinese people. Of course, I have no way to prove that, but the timing is pretty interesting, to say the least. Moving on, uh, one of the things I'm not looking forward to is airlines requiring vaccines. So far, we just have Qantas Air firmly stating that they are not going to allow anyone international unless they've been vaccinated. But at this point, a lot of airlines are saying you got to have a PCR test, positive PCR test. And then a lot of countries are saying you got to have that positive PCR test upon landing. So here we are. And if you ever want to do on a cruise again, well, might want to just uh, put a pin in that idea because a lot of cruise lines are saying, eh, no way, sir, not until you get your COVID vaccine. And we're not talking about rinky-dink cruise lines. We're talking about some pretty heavy hitters, Princess Cruise Lines, Celebrity Cruise Lines, Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, Virgin Voyages, Crystal Cruises. These aren't rinky-dink establishments. They're pretty big cruise lines. Some of the biggest, in fact, and they're saying you got to be vaccinated. So I guess it's fair to say a lot of cruise goers are of the ancient caliber, shall we say? So in theory, the older folks should be the ones to get their vaccines first. But I don't know. Is this a poor business decision? I, I can't see it working out well. The cruise industry is already ailing as it is. Their entire customer base like 90% of them are people above the age of 50. So I don't know. I'm not quite sure how this is going to pan out for them. I don't mind a cruise myself, but it is a cesspool of human disease. I remember I got quite sick on a cruise when I was uh, the brisk age of 20 years old. Very violently ill. I went to the infirmary and the doctor said, well, what do you want me to do about this? I, said, I don't know. I'm throwing up out both ends and maybe you could give me something and he just shrugged his shoulders and jabbed me in the arm with a booster shot i kid you not so i don't think that these ships are quite able to handle real medical issues 
say the least. But anyways, if you don't have a vaccine, you're not going on these cruises. And it all seems a little bit silly because just as a reminder, the vaccine, by their own admission, does not do anything to stop transmission. So who knows what they're thinking. And if you have plans to catch a game in the future, depending on where you are, it could be different. In New York, they're now allowing 10% capacity at venues, indoor and outdoors, doesn't matter. So that's 2K people at Madison Square Gardens. Seems weird. Masked up, socially distanced, of course. And in Texas, it's a little better. Until now, they've actually allowed 50% of people, and they plan for the summer to allow full attendance when baseball season begins. So we'll see what happens there. March Madness is happening around now, and they're allowing up to 25% of people in attendance. The entire tournament's taking place in Indiana. But I want to clip this for you all to take a drink of because maybe it's not just about the fans, but the players could have some real rough trouble. Anyway, take a drink of this. This is a pretty interesting report. Six foot seven out of Kansas City, Missouri. This is BYU's men's basketball team getting hyped for one of their first tests in this year's NCAA tournament. A test for the coronavirus. March Madness is now underway. I'm back. And COVID-19 is the opponent every team is facing. In the tournament's first weekend, an outbreak on one roster forced a team to forfeit before even taking the court. Others have competed without key players. The winning team is going to be that can keep themselves as safe as possible. It isn't just up to the teams. The NCAA has created so-called controlled environments in Indianapolis, where the men are playing, and San Antonio, where the women are. In order to pull this off, the NCAA did what it does best, which is write lots and lots of rules. Last year, the virus put March Madness and the nearly $900 million in revenue it brings on ice. So what are the protocols the NCAA put in place to keep COVID-19 from upending this year's tournament? And are they working? Last year, we knew nothing about this virus. Now we know a lot. Now we have testing. Last year, part of the reason we, we canceled the tournament is there wasn't enough testing available to do the testing we needed to do. Much of the NCAA's COVID-19 playbook centers around testing, quarantining, masking, and distancing. Just to enter the controlled environment, players and coaches were all required to report seven consecutive days of negative tests. I'm in quarantine right now. Then, upon arrival, everyone had to complete a 48-hour quarantine. We got tested about an hour ago. They are getting tested every day. They don't have roommates in their hotel rooms. Every floor of the hotel has its own team. And getting to practice involves a very intricate dance of timing of who can be in the elevator, when they can walk across the lobby, everything down to the minutiae is thought of. That's because one negative test has the potential to cause a domino effect. You know, that's a bucket. Once a player tests positive, any other player that is deemed as a close contact will also be required to quarantine, potentially missing the opportunity to play. Some people will say, well, you're being too cautious. Absolutely. I think you're being cautious because... There's a lot of things are at stake here. For the NCAA, what's at stake is 80% of its annual revenue, which the association banks on the men's basketball tournament to bring in. When the NCAA's revenue gets curtailed, that means that all of the money that it gives out to support the athletic departments at every one of the thousand member institutions that make up the NCAA, they also get hurt and they get less money. 
Last year, the NCAA's distribution to all schools was projected to be $600 million. It ended up being just $225 million after the tournament was canceled. In order to avoid an existential financial crisis, the NCAA really made it a priority to make sure that it could hold the tournament this year and continue to recoup some of those revenues. For players and coaches, what's at stake is the chance to be national champions. A title VCU's men's team lost before they even took the court. The team reported multiple positive tests in the 48 hours preceding their first round game. VCU did not specify how many members were deemed close contacts and thus required to quarantine, but teams need a minimum of five healthy players to compete. This is what you dream of as a college player and a coach, and to get it taken away like this is it's just uh, it's a heartbreaking moment in, in their young lives. We knew this was going to happen. There will be teams that you will find with somebody infected because you know, there's enough virus transmission in the community that that, that was going to be the case. And unfortunately, we are seeing that. But the virus has impacted teams in other ways. Oklahoma played without its second leading scorer, and defending champions Virginia lost their first round matchup after forced quarantines from an earlier outbreak impacted their practice schedule. I think you're going to be continuing seeing this kind of things. And I think hopefully teams are going to be looking at at their protocols and what they're doing and learning from this and saying, could we do something different? While Dr. Del Rio says the NCAA's COVID protocols are comprehensive, its controlled environment isn't impenetrable. They have to find a way to not run into trouble with this. And it's an incredibly unpredictable and contagious virus. So it's this X factor that's hanging over every team's tournament runs. Very cool. So this is where we're at. The lowest risk individuals in the entire world, these young athletic basketball players, have all of these stringent guidelines they have to follow. And if you get sick, if you get a case of the sniffles, you're out of the tournament. I mean, you can't play through the pain anymore. It used to be that if you got the sniffles, you would be literally ridiculed by your teammates. Oh, you're not going to play? You got the sniffles? Use a bitch. I remember when I was a kid playing hockey, playing box lacrosse. If you said, mm, coach, I can't play because I got the sniffles, you will be laughed out of the room, shamed and embarrassed. And now they'll shame you for not wearing a mask. Now they'll shame you for getting COVID. It doesn't make sense. This is a warped reality we live in. And it's not just sporting events. Also, wedding events are being clamped down on. And we've got an article from Brides.com, the headline, New York State will allow 150 guest weddings. Is this safe? And let's read the article because it's a little alarming. The subheadline reads, what exactly are the restrictions? Effective March 15th, 2021, New York will allow wedding receptions with up to 150 people with a few restrictions. All weddings must be approved by local health departments. The guest count will be limited to either 150 people or 50% of the venue's capacity, whichever capacity is smaller. Everyone on site must provide proof of a negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours before the wedding or a rapid test within six hours. So all that sounds fine, but then the measures get a little more strange, especially when you consider everyone who is at the venue must have passed a COVID-19 test. But they say everyone has to be socially distanced. They have to wear masks if they can't socially distance. And they have to stay at tables only with their own household. So no mixed tables. So no friends table. I don't know how that's going to work. But 
those are the rules. And they say you have to follow all applicable disinfectant protocols. So what does that mean? Wash your hands? Who knows? But then this is where the rules get really crazy-wazy. The dancing rules. This is from the article. They say in an update to the previous announcement on February 27, 2021, the state outlined more information on the day of rules, stating that ceremonial and socially distanced dancing will be allowed under strict guidelines. Specifically, the requirements are as follows. Dancers must wear face masks and stay within their own dancing areas or zones. Such spaces should be at least 36 square feet in size and positioned at least six feet apart from other dance zones and tables. And switching zones will not be allowed. So individuals may dance in a 36 square foot size area, which is a gigantic space, and everyone can only dance within these 36 square feet. First of all, who is checking this? Who's watching this? If somebody dances outside of their zone, are they going to be taped off? What's the deal? These are just such ridiculous rules that it really makes me question those who are running the show. These elected officials, these appointed individuals, are they really the ones who should be in charge if they're coming up with these rules that make literally no sense and aren't even enforceable? Well, folks, it seems like everything's flipping upside down on its head, but it's not all bad, actually, because you know what? You got the vaccine, head to Krispy Kreme and get a free donut. Every time you flash your vaccination card, you'll get a free donut. And I'm pretty sure that donuts are more dangerous than COVID-19, so it don't make any sense at all, does it? And there's a lot of companies that are doing little vaccination incentives. In fact, there's all kinds of fun stuff. Uber and Lyft have said they'll give you a free ride or at least a discount if you're going to a vaccination center. Starbucks is saying they're going to pay their employees to get the vaccine. And there's even dispensaries that are offering free weed to people who have had a vaccine. It's all so very cool. Well, folks, that's about it for today. I just wanted to highlight what's going on in the world, all of the different tactics and strategies and flip-flops and manipulations that they're doing to keep you wearing a mask, to force you to get vaccinated, and to shame you if you don't do either of those things. And I think this is not a great trend. This is not a good future for our children. And I have to do whatever I can to fight back against this. And I urge you to do the same. Start a podcast, post about it on social media, we have to fight back against this culture, and more importantly, we have to let our values be known. The elected officials in charge are the ones who are spearheading this. Are they really the ones we should be trusting? These are the people who have been elected. Now, I've been onto this tip for a long time. It seems to me that the skills one needs to become an elected official are vastly different than the skills one needs to be a very effective elected official. That's quite a conundrum because it means that people who have power and money and influence will almost always get elected over people who have great ideas. And if you think about it, it makes sense. It takes a long time to develop great ideas, knowledge, expertise, and experience. And it just so happens if you've got a lot of money, you can skip the line, get a television appearance here and there, pay for social media advertisements, and voila, you're elected. Well, 
These idiots are the ones in charge who have made this mess. So it's time to wise up, start thinking a little more clearly about how the world works. And one way you can do that is by listening to my podcast, subscribing, donating, telling a friend, doing all those things. Visit me online, www.drinkingfromhumanskulls.com. Let's do this together. Let's change the world. And we can't just sit down anymore and just watch it happen and throw our arms up and say, well, it's all fucked up. Okay, we have to do something about it. I really believe we have to do something about it. We can't just be passive anymore. We have to take it back or we're all going to die. It's just that simple. We're going to be crushed by these oppressive forces. Is that what you want? I sure don't want that. So I'm doing my part. Anyway, thanks for listening. I appreciate you so much. You have no idea. Please drop me a line. Let me know you're out there and take it easy. Meet Monger.